Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. The psalmist said, I was young and now I am old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, David said. You know, God is so faithful to His people, and at every stage of life, uh, people are asking the same question. In fact, the question that I'm asked so frequently is this, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? And they don't ask me uh, as though somehow, I, oh, I happen to have that right here. I, I just got it personally. It was written down. It isn't like that. They're really, really, if you look into it, what they're asking is, how can I know God's will for my life? How can I? All kinds of people are fully ready to do God's will. They just want to know it. And uh, but I think there's a lot of confusion about God's will. In fact, so confusing that because this is almost like a classroom setting, I'm about to give you a test. So, as you have a pen in your hand there, well done. And uh, go ahead, we're going to have a little test right here. And um, we'll see how you do. There's seven questions, and this is the kind of test you like. Uh, they're true or false questions. So, think it through. Is this true? Is this false? If you're ready to go, say go. go. True or false? God has a specific plan for your life which you are to discover and follow. True or false? Look up when you're ready for number two. Okay, number two. Uh, true or false, God's will can be divided into two categories. His perfect will and His permissive will. What He wants to have happen and what He just allows to happen. Perfect and permissive. Is that true? True or false? Number three, true or false, uh, little hunches or promptings that I sometimes feel are God's way of revealing His will to me. True or false? And you might even have a hunch about whether that's true or false, and if you have it, you should follow it. <laughs> or maybe you shouldn't. How many is that? Three. Number four, then. True or false? A key factor in making godly decisions is if I have peace about it. Have you ever said, well, I have peace about it? Why are you doing this? I have peace about it. That may be an excellent way to determine whether God is leading you into His will or not, or is it? True or false? A key factor in making godly decisions is if I have peace about it. Number five, true or false? It is wrong to use a fleece in determining God's will. It's wrong to do that. You should never ever use a fleece or a test, it means. You should never use a test in determining God's will. Six, true or false? When faced with two good alternatives, I must be careful to make the right choice in seeking God's will. I have two alternatives, they're both pretty good. Slow down and Make sure that the choice you're making is God's will for you. And seven, some people are called to vocational. That's what I do. I'm in vocational ministry. Ministry isn't just my, um, you know, a lot of people have ministries, but if it's your vocation, it's your job. Some people are called to vocational ministry. Others are not called to vocational ministry. True or false? You got seven? All right, um, hold up the finger, hold up your fingers for how many true answers you have. Hands up. 
Fingers up, no embarrassment. Two, three, 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 five, two, nicely displayed. Six, five, 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 four, three. All right. They're all false. Every one of those sentences is false. And um, if you feel a little confusion about how that could possibly be true, I would just ask you to give me some time to show that to you uh, from God's Word. There is so much confusion and misunderstanding about God's will that you don't need to feel embarrassed if you were holding up four or five or six. Um, I would just say that, in fact, if you wouldn't mind, what would be really awesome right now would be if you would open your Bibles uh, to a particular a passage of Scripture that I want to show to you, and we'll turn to two more uh, quickly. Can we do that? Because at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter what you said was true or false, or it shouldn't matter what I said is true or false, right? What, what matters most? Come on. Yeah, right. Amen. What does the Bible say? Because that should kind of end the discussion, right? I mean, if you were sitting around, if the Bible said who was going to win the Super Bowl this year, would you stop discussing it? I would. I mean, it doesn't say that, but I'm saying, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And, and so there are things about which God is very clear. The Super Bowl is not one of them, and His will is one of them. And so we're going to look at some scriptures right now that use the phrase God's will. Uh, notice, first of all, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 17, it says, Therefore, uh, do not be foolish. I should probably give you uh, the context. It is an exhortation to awake from spiritual slumber. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. In Ephesians, walk is synonymous with the Christian life. Walk worthy, walk in a manner fully pleasing the Lord. Here, look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Isn't that the whole matter in regard to God's will? I've got some time left. I have less time than you have left. You guys, i got to say, look super young to me. And I love now at this age to say to people, as you are, I was, and as I am, you will be. And life is going by, and time is passing. And what we want to do, what did Jesus say? He said that my delight is to do your will, O God. So there's no question that doing God's will is awesome. The question that we're wrestling with is, given the amount of time we have remaining, it's pretty important to know what God's will actually is. In fact, that's what he's about to say here. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord, last word, say it. Oh, that was super weak. Okay, we'll do it again. Therefore, I'm kidding. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 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 And that's why the book is called Is. The book is called Is because there's a lot of confusion about what the will of God is. I want to show you two more places where the word is is used in regard to God's will. Look with me at um, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, he goes into, or really verse 15, he goes into some general exhortations. 1 Thessalonians uh, 5. 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do, seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. <clears throat> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this, next word, is. is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God's will is. God's will is, notice, it is specific things. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is, this is. 
the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Last one, uh, just flip back your Bible one page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and you're going to see that the word is, is used again in regard to what God's will is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, verse 2, For you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this, next word, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is what happens between the cross of Christ and eternity. So you turn from your sin, you embrace Jesus Christ by faith for your forgiveness, you're now saved, converted, born again, redeemed. The Bible has a lot of terms for this. Now what happens between here and eternity is called sanctification, where God takes a forgiven sinner and conforms them uh, he said to the Corinthians, We all with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are daily being transformed into that image. And so, more like Jesus every day as I often preach, not what I could be, not what I should be, but not what I was. God's changing me day by day. I'm experiencing, and I hope that you are too, all of His children, His true children are. So, what is God's will for me? Well, He says it here. This is God's will. God's will is your sanctification. Now, um, he wants to change me. Now, what's, what's really interesting is, is that as you study the Bible, you don't find all the things that we talk about as being God's will. You, just, you don't find it. You know, well, God's will is, where should I go to college? God's will is, where am I supposed to work? God's will is, where am I supposed to live? God's will is, who am I supposed to marry? None of that, take a deep breath, it's hard to unteach things that we've known and treasured for so long, but they didn't come from the Bible, and we need to always be willing to be captive to the Word of God. I just want to believe what the Word says. And see, the sad reality is, is a lot of people are off searching for where they're supposed to live and who they're supposed to marry, and that isn't what the will of God is. That's why the book is called The Will of God is the Word of God. In other words, if I'm becoming day by day the person that God wants me to be. If I'm doing the things that God has asked me to do in His Word, I can be confident then that I'm making the decisions that God wants me to make. And instead of God being some cruel um, architect who has diagrammed a life for you, but He's not telling, and I bet they'll never figure this out, and you got to, <laughs> what is it, what is it, what is it? it? It's interesting in the Scriptures, you know, God's will is, is that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we would examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, that we would allow Him to change us and sanctify us and grow us, and that we would be humble and, and uh, contrite and reflective during suffering, that we would be learning from the things that He's allowing to come into our life, that we would be trying to make wise decisions. You know, I think the um, way that I've probably characterized it is, is that God's will for you is a lush green pasture filled with good things, as his sheep, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Someone make a sheep noise, come on. Okay, so that was actually quite strong. And, and, and uh, he's the shepherd, we're the, we're the sheep. And so we live within this pasture, and surrounding the pasture is this fence called his word. His word is his will. And as long as I live inside the fence of His Word, I can be confident. I mean, my grandma was a very, very, very good cook, and I can remember her sometimes presenting uh, to me a plate of cookies, but not just one kind of cookies. I can specifically remember a time when she was offering me some uh, ginger snaps 
or chocolate chip cookies or peanut butter cookies. Now, as she presented the platter to me with uh, those choices, did she have a secret preference that she was very, very concerned that I would pick the ginger snaps? Did, was she thinking that, was she? No, she just wanted me to have what? Yeah, but what? She wanted me to have whatever I whenever I wanted. And that's how you have to learn to see God's will. That if you're living within the parameters of His Word, He wants you to pick. When Romans 8 says that God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. I can't tell you how grateful I am sitting here in front of you today after all of these years of serving the Lord to say that, you know, <laughs> in my good choices and in my bad choices and the things that I'm proud of and in the things that I wish that I had done better, I serve a King who is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. And God takes my good choices and my bad choices and He somehow redeems them and makes something great out of it. That's why we're all worshiping Him, right? I mean, everybody say awesome. awesome. I mean, that's why we love Him. Now, He's going to get a ton of attention at church again this weekend. You know why? Because He's still doing it. He does it every day. How many people have seen God take something that you did that was dumb and somehow, oh my gosh, that kind of actually ended up working out even though I was a dope? Come on now, don't leave me up here. <laughs> Come on, there's oh, three honest people in this section have done it. No, Miss Perfect here, you've never done anything. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Well, let's look at, look at, let's just start to kind of just jot down some main essentials. I think the main heading would be, you know, why am I teaching this thing on God's will? I've sort of gone over that. Um, there's so much misunderstanding on the subject. There's so much abuse. Have you ever been in a situation where you had a friend, someone you cared about, and they were about to make a decision that you thought was pretty obviously headed over the cliff and you tried to talk to them about it and they said, but it's, tell me. They said it's God's will. What are you supposed to do then? Hey Phil, let me just ask you this. So if me and you were super close and I was getting ready to do something crazy, I think God wants me to leave my wife. I think God wants me to, to move to Kansas City and become a rock star. Um, how confident would you be that that was not going to be a great decision? Very. Very, right? But hang on for a second, hang on for a second. I prayed about it, and it's God's will. You see how that's used? What are you supposed to say then? What, what, I mean, really? So I'm, I'm going to be against God now? I mean, people use this God's will statement as a way of sort of deflecting input from anybody else. Why? Because they want to do what they want to do. And it isn't necessarily a great thing they're deciding to do. Uh, they may even be breaking other commitments they've made and disregarding a lot of Scripture to do it. But because they have a wrong view of God's will, that God's will is some subjective thing that I decide, you know, uh, kneeling over my bed all by myself. I don't have to answer to anyone. I have God's will now. Um, it really does a lot of damage to our ability to live together in meaningful community. And so we've got to dispense with this idea that I can use God's will as a way of deflecting accountability for bad decisions. Here's another reason. Um, there's a lot of frustration people feel about God's will. And I would be really surprised if you don't feel some of it. If you've had a, this traditional view of God's will, as we'll call it, if you've thought some of these things, then maybe you've been, you know, I bet you have enough intellectual integrity to not be willing to make up a story. And a lot of other people seem to have this story about, you know, I, shot, I saw the light in the sky and I just knew this is what God wanted me to do. And you're like, well, why don't I have that? And so you sort of are waiting for something to happen that other people say happened to them. I'm telling you the whole thing is suspect. It's not really what God's Word teaches about what God's will is. Um, 
Here's another reason. Because life's uh, decisions are difficult, uh, we must know and use the biblical guide for decision making. Uh, by the end of this, I'm going to actually have uh, taught you how you do make uh, biblical decisions and how you can be confident that those decisions are according to the will of God. And uh, um, I think I'd just go back to Ephesians 5.18 because godly decisions arrived at in a biblical way please God. Do not be unwise, Ephesians 5.17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is this exactly? Well, we're going to understand uh, what it is. And uh, if God has a will for you, wouldn't you agree? How many people want to know it? Do you want to know what God's will is? You're going to be really disappointed with the amount of geography that's in it. It's not going to get you aware. It's going to help you with who, but it's not going to isolate a ding, 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 this perfect person for me. That doesn't exist. It isn't like that. It's going to help you right-size your expectations for a life partner, right-size your expectations for a vocation. It's going to help you take more responsibility yourself for making decisions according to the Scriptures that please God. And it's going to give you a great freedom to know that God's not leaning over you. And if you've made a couple of bad decisions, some of you here, I would think, are like me and others. And you've uh, said some things and done some things that you'd really like to go back and change. Huh? And, and, and this wrong teaching causes you to feel like, oh, my goodness, my life's over. You know, I, I'm, I'm only on the B plan from now on, you know. And, and that's just awful. That is not the grace of God. That is not what the Scripture teaches. And isn't it awesome to know that whether you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or beyond, all of the opportunities of God's grace and kindness are available to you for the rest of your life as you would choose to draw down upon them. It's not that there isn't consequences for bad decisions, but as I said, God's grace extends even to that. So, with me? Long intro uh, for an important uh, subject. I want to go to this now, this kind of basic question, and I'm going to show it to you from a lot of Scripture. Uh, jot this down. Does God have, does He even have a will for each individual? Does God even have that? By that, I mean, does God have a detailed plan for us? I've already said that I think He doesn't when I gave you the little true-false test. But I think the, the burden now is on me to actually show you from Scripture uh, that that isn't what God has. Does He have a detailed plan? Does He have a college for me to go to? Does He have a career for me to choose? Does He have a spouse for me to locate and marry? Does He have a place where I'm supposed to live? Is, I can't tell you how many people in our church say to me all the time, pray for us. We're seeking God's will about what house to buy. I'm like, stop, make a choice. <laughs> God doesn't care what house you live in. No, He wants you to live in an affordable one. He wants you to live in one that's close to ministry and work that makes sense for a lifestyle that would honor Him. Well, I really like, I really like the outdoors. Well, awesome. Should you have a job in Chicago and a house in Montana? Is that a good plan? And didn't God give you a good mind to be able to think through whether that makes sense? See, what is God's will? God's will is for you to make wise decisions that honor Him. That's His will. And we're going to get into that right now. So, um, historically, there's been three views of this that I'm going to uh, try to uh, refute uh, some of the latter parts of it. Uh, um, historically, it's been divided into three categories. God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's individual will. 
God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's individual will. And I want to look at each of those uh, right now. Uh, let's start, first of all, with God's sovereign will. And you could uh, turn in your Bible, if you wouldn't mind doing so, to Isaiah chapter 40, one of my favorite uh, scriptures in all of the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, let's just begin to uh, uh, look at this scripture. So, under the heading, God's sovereign will, and by the way, sovereign means uh, supreme in power, without equal. Uh, when we say God is sovereign, we're saying that He is superior to everyone and everything. And more than that, we're saying that He rules in control uh, over those things. He is sovereign. Everything that God wants to happen happens on time, every time, all the time. He's sovereign. So, His sovereign will is, let me just read this scripture, Isaiah 40. Um, Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, words carefully chosen, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Wow! That's some seriously in charge, whoever can say that. I'm coming, everything's going to change, high places are getting low, low places are getting high, my glory's going to be revealed, everyone's going to see it, because I said so. Who talks like that? Come on, lift up your voice and say, God does. God right? God talks like that. He's God. He's sovereign. And uh, God's will, here's a little definition, God's sovereign will, God's secret plan which controls the outcome of all matters in the universe. God's secret plan which controls the outcome of all matters in the universe. Nothing thwarts the purposes of God. Would you agree? Nothing. Sin's not slowing him down. Sickness isn't in his way. Kings aren't a problem. Presidents either. Nothing. No rulers, no criminals, no rebels, nothing has God off plan ever. That's His sovereign will. Now, just look out the window here for a minute and think with me how awesome it is to be in a world that everything God wants to have happen is happening. Everything. Now, does that mean that there aren't some things happening that aren't pleasing to Him? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying ultimate ends outcomes, destinations, always reached, on time, every time. Well, what about people choosing? He's sovereign. You make a bad choice, He's using it to get where He's going. You make a good choice, He's using it to get where He's going. The only choice we get is to whether we're going to be on plan or off plan in terms of what He's trying to accomplish. It really is quite a thing to see His sovereignty. Now, I would like to um, say in addition to that, maybe make a note of this, the good we choose to do, He uses for His purposes. The sin we choose, He uses for His purposes. Good and bad, 
right and wrong. He's using it all to accomplish His sovereign will. Now, let's get some scriptural verification for this, and I'm just going to run through some scriptures. Why don't you maybe listen and jot down the references? That way you can circle back uh, later, but mainly just listening. Uh, Proverbs 16.33 says that the lot is cast into the lap. Now, a lot in Old Testament times was, there's some debate about this, but most people believe that it was a stone that was white on one side and black on the other side. And those weren't good and bad, they were just different. And so, you would throw the lot down, yes or no, right or wrong, forward or backward, today or tomorrow, and they would cast the lot into someone. So, if you imagine a gal sitting, or in those days the men with these robes, and they would sit there with their knees a little bit apart, and there would just be this little bit of cloth, and they'd throw it down, and what came up? Like rolling dice, but with less options. What's interesting is, now that we have a clarity on the lot, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now, if you think that means you should, uh, I'm thinking about going out drinking tonight. I think I'm just going to get one of those yes or no things and figure out if I, no, no, that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that because He's sovereign, it doesn't matter what the stone shows. He's going to use whatever choice it dictates to accomplish His purposes. And then this, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. In this recent presidential election cycle, I was on the faith council of the ultimately victorious uh, candidate. And uh, in the fall before the election, I decided to get out. And I resigned when some things came to light, not so much as a matter of judgment, but because we have people of all political persuasions in our church, and I have a king who is working out a sovereign plan who isn't bound by presidents, and I didn't want to lose my influence with some and gain more influence with others as though I were in the political process. I feel like I've been given a calling that's different than that, and candidly, it's higher than that. I just didn't want to be disillusioning the ones that see it one way, and you know, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And in the same way, you say, well, but I am man, Washington, that's important. I mean, you had a chance. I mean, that's big time. That's big time. You had a chance to be in the center of, and I see on, on Facebook and Instagram, you know, all my friends at the White House again last weekend, and I could have been there too, but I was actually pretty happy not to be part of that because I think, well, look at Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. It's like if you were drawing a bath, could you put your hand under the bath to feel the temperature? Could you direct it one way or the other? How easy is that, right? That's the President of the United States to God. Just, eh, let's squirt him over here for a while. Let's, let's pull it back this way a bit. It's uh, turn to your neighbor and say, it's not a thing. It's not a thing, not for a God who has a sovereign will. And then uh, just a few more of these, Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Wow. Acts 2.23. So, this is Pentecost, Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The reason why Peter could like put it in all their faces, y'all killed Jesus, that's what you did, you killed Him. But then he's like, but you did it according to God's sovereign plan. Isn't that awesome? 
And what seemed like the worst was actually working out for the best. And that's what sovereign will is all about. Um, Romans 9.19 says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Again, that's his sovereign will. And uh, jot this reference down. I won't read it all. Romans 11:23 through 36 lays out God's sovereign will for His people. Um, Ephesians 1, verse 11 says, in him, we have in, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will." Now just think about that. God's working all things according to the counsel of His will. He has a sovereign will. And, and if you're getting a little... Uh, Tired here later in the day, you're like, I'm out of here, man. You know what? I'm tired of this whole internship. I'm so out of here. In fact, you know what? I'm going to slam the door on the way out. Do it. Nothing in the big picture will change by that. You might lose a lot, but nothing that God's determined to have happen is going to change. We think we are way more important than we are. We're just players in His play. We're just members of His team. Our, our, my pastor used to say growing up, if I won't do it, God will find somebody who will, and I'll miss the blessing. Isn't that good to know? I'm not searching for significance in ministry. I'm searching for obedience, the joy of obedience and submission uh, to the will of God. Last one, Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they have existed and were created. So there's a whole lot about this uh, important matter of uh, God's sovereign will. But that really doesn't get to the subject. This is not a book about God's sovereign will. This is not a teaching on God's sovereign will. I just had to say that and set it over here. We're trying to know about God's specific will. That's the big category, God's sovereign will. I'll say it in summary. As it relates to God's sovereign will, everything God wants happens. That's a pretty fun sentence to preach. Everything God wants happens. Come on, say it with me. Everything God wants happens. Just think about that. Come on, say it one more time. Everything God wants happens. That's His sovereign will. Not so, however, with His moral will. Now we're going to go into God's uh, moral will. And uh, God's moral will are God's revealed commands in the Bible which teach us what to believe and how to live. What to believe and how to live. Now I'm going to go into the New Testament here. I'm turning. If you want to turn with me, that's great. Romans chapter 2, verse 18. Verse 17 says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will, there it is, and approve what is excellent because you're instructed in the law. So the idea there is, is that you can know His will. It is uh, excellent. You can approve it. Just look up here for a second. The problem isn't the, that God doesn't have a will. The problem is, is that we don't know what God's will is. We think it's something different than it is. God has a will. God's will, as I've said already, is God's Word, God's moral will. That's why, as we learned in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God, uh, your sanctification. He has a moral will, or maybe better stated, he has a position on what morality is, what it should be, all right? And um, 
He has a moral will that's very specific. Uh, for example, who knows where the Ten Commandments are in the Bible? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Phil, do you know? Okay, the book. I didn't say you couldn't find the city. I just want to know if you want to know the street and the house. It's in Exodus. But where is it? Exodus 20. Well done. Well done. This side, by the way, is just crushing this side right now. <laughs> so you'll have a chance to, to get even. So in Exodus chapter 20, we get the Ten Commandments. Worship only me. Come on, come on. G give me some of the Ten Commandments. God first, God only. There, there's the first one. What else? Obey your mother and father. Well done. Are you super good at that? Do you feel like you need to slip out and make a phone call? Just ask for... <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. You can talk to them tonight. Make it right. Okay. So, what else? Ten Commandments. Come on. Don't covet stuff. Don't want what isn't yours. What? Murder. Good. Don't murder. Well done. Well stated. Don't murder. Don't murder. Well done. Don't steal. You know? Uh, don't fail to rest, really. I mean, there's these very specific mandates. In the New Testament, uh, we get something that's really a lot more specific about that. For example, in the Ten Commandments, it talks, it's like your wife, nobody else's wife, just her, right? But in the New Testament, you get a lot more. Fidelity before marriage, one partner for life, uh, only a believer. If you're a believer, that's in 2 Corinthians 6, roles in marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, attitudes between husbands and wives and what they both should focus on. That's in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, in the uh, Old Testament, uh, in the Ten Commandments, you get work for six days, take a day to rest. Work six, one off. Work six, one off. That's the whole Old Testament on work. But in the New Testament, you get all kinds of special things about how to relate to your employer and what to do when they're treating you poorly. And, and the New Testament gives a lot of detailed instruction about God's moral will in these broad commands. The Bible also teaches about government and when to submit to it and when to resist it and why that might be allowable. It teaches about the purpose of government. Romans 12 says that the powers that be are ordained of God for the punishment of wrongdoers. Okay. So that's a whole big subject about living in a society that has a, in our society today, we have a rehabilitative judicial system, which means that criminals are sick people who need to be made well. And the Bible says that criminals, um, with some rare exceptions, are bad people that need to be punished, that that is uh, a responsible decision of a uh, God-submissive uh, uh, government. So these are God's uh, moral will. There's stuff that God wants to have happening. This is supposed to happen. This isn't supposed to happen. This is supposed to happen. This isn't supposed to happen. That's God's moral will. We have it about relationships. We have it about friends. We have it about enemies. We have it about conflict and about forgiveness and about betrayal and about what love is and about how to express it. All of these things constitute God's moral will. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that in, God, in regard to God's moral will, this is a great reference to write down, write that one down. 2 Peter 1, 3 says this, He has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. When preachers stand up, have you ever heard a, have you ever heard a preacher stand up and say that uh, the Bible is all the answers? How many hands up if you've heard that? The Bible is all the answers. And he's like, really? Really? Can I tell me how to change uh, a tire on my car? Because my dad never taught me that. Can I tell me how to tie a tie? You're not going to teach me how to change my oil? Well, no, 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 no. We're not saying that the Bible has all the answers, y'all. 
not saying that at all. When we say that the Bible has all the answers, we mean all the answers pertaining to life and godliness. All the understanding we need to live life to the fullest, the greatest experience of joy, the greatest experience of fulfillment, the warnings about all the things that would detract from that, the exhortations into all the things that would enhance that, that we have in God's Word all things pertaining to life and godliness, everything in regard to His moral will. This is the idea that the Bible is complete and sufficient and entire and enough. It has all the information you need to live life to the fullest. I think we would all agree that whether you learn how to tie your tie or not, you can, how many people don't, come on now, honesty, how many people don't know how to tie a tie? You know how to? You know how to? Because I actually have one here. Could you come up and? Oh my gosh, I was totally bluffing. <laughs> you could do it. That's really great. That's really good. So how many people could do it? How many people could not do it? Hands up if you agree it has nothing to do with life and godliness. Right? There you go. So that, that's not part of it. Just the things that really matter. Now, that's God's sovereign will. That's God's moral will. Now I'm going to really go at it, y'all. Let's talk for a minute about God's individual will as it's normally taught. Think of God's will as the walls of this room. That's God's moral will. Uh, God's moral will are these parameters. As long as we stay inside these walls, we are in God's moral will. These are the boundaries of safety accomplished through obedience. Now, God's individual will, as it's normally taught, is a specific place. Like, so I'm inside God's moral will, I'm inside the boundaries, and then we teach God's um, specific will like it's a dot, like it's a specific place. And everybody needs to find their way inside God's moral will. Everybody needs to find themselves to the place. Get in the place, man. Get in that place that is God's will for you. Get there and stay there. But what I'm saying in this teaching is, is that that place, that dot, doesn't even exist. As long as you're in the room, as long as you're in the boundaries, He's leaving the choices up to you. And His sovereign will is such that no matter what choices you make within His moral will, if you make good choices, then you're on the team God awesome. And if you make bad choices, then you're on the team of God's taking advantage of those things and using them to accomplish His purposes anyway, and you're the only one that really loses. So, um, I can tell you that growing up, I was taught that a wrong choice meant you're off the dot. Really? You did what? <laughs> you did what with your girlfriend? You, you did, you, you worked where? You read what? You, you, what? You've been married before? Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Wow. Wow. What a wasted life. It's all over for you now. You know, bad choices, too late, all of that stuff. Um, uh, no real uh, joy in saying this, but um, I think we used to say when I was taught this, you know, if you're in, you wanted to talk about somebody in God's will, I mean, D.L. Moody, I mean, there was a guy that was in God's will. I mean, Amy Carmichael, you know, there's a person, 
Corey Ten Boom, there's a person who was in God's, you know, um, Billy Graham, you know, all in favor of Billy Graham being in God's will. Uh, too late for you, though. I mean, you've already messed here. Your parents don't even like you now. You've already met, what's your name? Connor. Connor, you've already messed it up too bad, y'all. I, th I don't think you're ever going to, bad news, I don't think you're going to be Billy Graham. I definitely will not. You definitely, but actually what I'm saying is, is you don't have any idea what you could be for the Lord. It was actually D.L. Moody who said that the world is yet to see what God can do with a man who's fully yielded to him. And I intend to be that man. Isn't that awesome? He had such a good sense of, it isn't about the mistakes I made, it isn't about the things I regret, it's about the rest of my life in doing the will of God and delighting to do His will and being used to the maximum, you know, wherever He has placed me. So, um, but I was always taught if you miss the dot, if you make a big major life decision, you're off of His perfect will and now you're kind of left with this sort of low road of His permissive will. Oh, yeah, you could probably still contribute in some ways, but, you know, there was an original sort of awesome plan, but you're, you, you can't, there's no road back to that, y'all. And, of course, there's all the shame that goes with that. That's just such, such bad teaching. And um, the problem, of course, is within God's Word, choices are easy. And uh, we're going to get to this in a subsequent lesson. But what do you do when there are two good choices? Maybe some of you are wrestling with two good choices right now. Some of you are like, you know, I want to go back to college, but I kind of want to go home. I, I want to get busy in ministry, but I think I should do this first. Now, I'm not saying that either one of those matters very much. I'm saying that the sense that you have that one of those is the right decision and it will lead to great forever, and one of those is the wrong decision, and if you make the wrong one, you won't recover, that's the part that I'm trying to tear down. So, um, come on, everybody take a deep, deep, let's go. <sighs> Isn't it great? Isn't it great to know that if you're wrestling with a choice right now and you just seek the Lord and you try to make the best choice, that even if it turns out that it wasn't the best choice, that He'll still use it to get you to the, isn't that awesome? Come on, everybody say, God is awesome. God is awesome. And how many people were, hands up if you were kind of taught this perfect permissive will, stay on the dot. Hands up if you were kind of taught that or you think you've heard that before. Seems like uh, a good number of you were. Well, I want to cr critique that a little bit now uh, with some scripture. I want to critique um, uh, this, we'll call it a critique of the individual will approach. And um, so first of all, the argument for an individual will based on God's orderliness. They're like, well, God put the stars in the sky. They're all moving according to plan. And God put the planets out there, I like to say, in a galactic choreography that staggers the mind and it's all moving in such beautiful symmetry. He obviously has a plan uh, for all of those things. But, um, um, yep, for sure the universe is created with order. But the fact that God created the universe with order doesn't mean that he has some perfect, um, what do you call that thing? Here's the sun. That was the word I was looking for. It doesn't mean he has some orbit path that you need to get on or everything is going to, I mean, imagine if the planets all start and everything's crashing into each other. My gosh, it's, it isn't. I like that. Then there's the argument from the biblical pictures of God as a king and a father. But I can tell you as a father of three and soon to be a grandfather of seven uh, now, I can tell you that, that, that a loving father doesn't think like that. 
a loving father, if you're under this with your parents, and I want to be super careful how I say this, and a lot of parents will listen to this teaching too, but a loving parent should not have a specific prescription for their child. They should not have a, if you do this, I'll be happy. If you do this, I won't. And uh, my second son, Landon, if some of you guys met Landon, he was in uh, his third year of college and he was in a band. And uh, they just played a bunch of, you know, some people would call it secular music, but they just played a bunch of songs about different stuff. And sometimes they would get to go out and play in different bars and different venues. And they had a great witness for the Lord. And I thought it was just fantastic that he would do this. The problem was a record company found out about them. And in his third year of college, I'll never forget when he came home and we were sitting out back of our house and he was like, you know, Dad, should I do this? Should I quit school and go and tour with this band for a year? How many people think I probably wanted him to finish college? I'm very grateful, though, that I didn't say that because he needed more than what he would do. What was more important was for him to understand that the feeling was his and that God wasn't going to be unhappy with either choice. He wrestled it through for two or three weeks. He, he asked a lot of questions, but he came to the decision himself, you know, the timing isn't right. I don't have any dream to be that for the rest of my life. I'm going to go back to work here and keep pursuing what I want to do. And that seems more fun for a few weeks, but I think I'm going to do what will seem more fun for 10 years. And of course, God's really honored that decision. I think he made a good one, but the choice was his. And, and so um, that's what a good parent is like. Would you agree? Okay. Well, that's what God the Father is like. He's not like one thing, figure it out. You're going to be a medical doctor. Nothing else will do. Come on, lift up your voice and say, he's not like that. Part of the problem is, is that we see special things in the Bible. There was a bride for Isaac. There was a specific decision made uh, in Acts chapter 16. There was what was called a Macedonian call and a vision was given. Come over here and help us. The, the problem is those things are in the Bible because they're unique. And I'm not saying that God doesn't sometimes give specific direction. Right? Come on, say he's not saying that. I'm not saying that God isn't sometimes giving specific direction. I'm just saying that that's not the norm. That's not the everyday. That's not the all the time. I really don't have the problem with the person who says, you know, I just feel like God's really directed me to do this right now. I don't have a problem with that, provided that it isn't completely the opposite of Scripture and doesn't seem mindless and irresponsible and deceptive and foolish. Good with me on that? So I believe that God's will would be something that would be wise and it would be loving and be truthful and be faithful to the commitments that you've made. And we've seen all kinds of students come through our church and should I go back to college? Well, did you give your word that you would? All right, well, Psalm 15, three says, we've sworn to our own hurt. So I guess you're going back to college, aren't you? See, keeping your word, that's God's will. And if you're doing the things that God's people do, you can be confident that that's leading you to God's best for your life. So here's what I want to do. I just want to look at some scriptures that I think are commonly used to teach this wrong view of God's will. And then I'd like to just kind of talk about them a little bit together and see what they're actually saying. Can we do that? Okay, man. Let's hear, um, you got Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Come on. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Yeah. And, and when I was growing up, the old King James Version used to say, he will direct your paths, which I think was a little more confusing, honestly, because it was like, oh, I got to get on the path. I got to get on the right path. You know, I don't want to be on the wrong path. I got to get on the right path. And, and, and actually, he will make your path straight. 
is, is it, what that actually means is, is he will make your path smooth. He will make your path successful. He will hasten your arrival at the destination. Um, that really doesn't have anything to do with God's will, but it's a favorite verse of people because they're just counting on God to help them get on that dot, uh, the dot that doesn't exist. All right, who's got um, Isaiah 30, 20, and 21? Oh, great. And that the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Well, I got to say I like that verse because I'm not presuming that any of you have ever heard our little uh, radio program, Walk in the Word, but that's the theme verse for Walk in the Word. Whether you turn to the left or the right, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when Isaiah talks about teachers being raised up, the teacher should be, does yours have small t, like not capitalized? It's not, yeah, it really, that's an interpretive. There's no capitals in the Bible, and that shouldn't be capital T, like God is going to teach you. That isn't, there, it isn't like that, that God's going to, I hope it's happening right now, actually, where you're not on path with what God's will actually teaches, God will raise up teachers to strengthen your understanding of God's Word. And when they say, this is the way, walk in it, it's not a matter of a specific detailed plan for you. It's they will teach you the Word of God and you will walk in faithfulness to what God's Word teaches. How many people have had the experience of being a little off course and you're in college or you're at your church or you're at a youth retreat or somewhere and you hear a message and you're like, man, that was like right for me. How many hands up if you had that experience? Okay, that's God making good on Isaiah 30, 21, that He's going to raise up teachers, not to put you on an individual plan, but to help you bring your life back into conformity with what God's Word actually teaches. All right, um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Who's got that? Come on, let's hear it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, that you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So isn't it interesting? So if you know anything about Romans, he's gone through 11 chapters. That was the beginning of chapter 12. 11 chapters, doctrine, 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 doctrine. And, and Jews are sinners and Gentiles are sinners and all are sinners and you have to be saved by faith. That's the first four chapters. Okay, and it just goes on like that. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. All of Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 9 is Jews and Gentiles, and they all come together, and God's sovereign over all of it. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Listen, Romans 12, 1. I beg you by the mercies of God to present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. People use that, oh, the perfect will of God. You got to get on the perfect will of God, but that isn't at all what it's talking about. That God's perfect will is not where, it doesn't say anything about where to go to college, doesn't say anything about who to marry, doesn't say, it, it uses the term will of God, listen, this is important, to describe the kind of person you are. Here's a key sentence. 
if you are becoming the kind of person that God wants you to be, you can rest forever from the fear that that's not going to lead you where He wants you to be. The kind of person that God wants you to be is going to choose the kind of person that they're going to marry, is going to choose the kind of place that they should work and most be used by God, is going to use their finances. And is it, is it God's will for me to have this car? I don't know. Can you afford it? I don't know, is it a wise decision? What, is, what are the magazines saying about the safety ratings? I don't, I don't, I don't care about safety. I want to look cool. Well, okay, is that awesome that you want to look cool? I don't think it's wrong, but I'm just saying, is, is that the reason to make the decision? Is that the best decision right now, giving wisdom? Do you see what I'm saying? If I'm seeking to be the person that God wants me to be, I can be confident that I'm making the decisions that please Him and that I am within His will. All right, um, a bit more here. Colossians 1 9. Come on. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Huh. And since the day that we heard from you, we have not ceased to pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual understanding. Notice again that the reference to God's will is about wisdom and why. We're going to talk in another session about wise decision making. If I'm making wise decisions, if I'm making decisions with spiritual understanding, I can be confident that those decisions are within God's will for my life, though even saying that I'm not necessarily. And then back to the verse, Phil, that we uh, began with from Ephesians chapter 5. Read the three verses, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, wisdom, that's the will of the Lord. Foolishness, that's not the will of the Lord. The will of God is for you to make wise decisions based on the information that you have, based on what the Scriptures say, and that's what the will of God actually is. Okay, um, implications of the absence of an individual will. Let me just uh, buzz through these. Um, one, God does have specific things He wants His children to do. All right? Um, read the major things of life. Um, versus the mundane. I mean, how many people are like, is it God's will for me to go to the store right now? Is it God's will for me to watch this TV program? Is it God's will for me to go to sleep right now? I don't know, but you sound like you need some sleep. Okay? <laughs> it's, it's not that. God does have specific things He wants us to do, but a lot of times we get into a lot of phony baloney about how we discern that. For example, I remember a, a friend of mine in college who was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, tried to decide this week whether I should go on that ski trip to Colorado during March break. That's good. Wrestle it through. Think it through. Okay, well, how are you going to decide? Well, I've been praying about it, and, uh, you know, if any money comes to me in the mail by the end of the week, I'm going to go. And that'll just be God's way of saying to me that I should go, because if I get some money in the mail, I should go. Okay, that sounds okay, I guess, but let me just ask you some questions. Do you get money in the mail? Oh, yeah, my parents send me a check every single week. Okay, so then you know there's a check coming. Well, probably. So then if one comes again, we're not going to be able to call that a miracle, right? Right. 
Okay, do you see, this is just an example of the kind of games that people play to try to slap a God's will label on a behavior that they actually prefer. That's some of what we're trying to get free from. Here's another one. Uh, when painful things happen to you, you do not need to feel um, that it's God's will. This is something that is, is terribly said all the time. Uh, uh, parents have a deformed child or aren't able to have a child or, or something awful and tragic happens and Christians will come along and put a big sloppy arm on your shoulder. Well, this must have been God's will. Well, it's His sovereign will in the sense that He's causing all things to work together for good, but we don't need to cause God to be causally related to every single thing. The, the world's broken. The world doesn't work right. God offers Himself as the solution to a broken world, not as the filter to keep bad things from happening to good people. That's a misunderstanding again of what God's... And some people teach like, if you do everything you're supposed to do, your life's going to be awesome. And every time something bad happens, you must have made a huge mistake. Well, that's not the case at all. How many people have had a season of suffering in their life, fairly substantive? Hands up if you've had that. Okay, and, and when I was your age, I would have uh, said that I had had two, but I didn't realize that I hadn't. And maybe some of you actually have in the way that I subsequently have. And if you have, my heart goes out to you, and it does especially so if you've had people trying to help you make sense of the idea that God uh, did that to you. No, I wouldn't say it like that. I would say God certainly chastens His own, and He's, there's more than enough things happening in a broken world for God to use those things to get the attention of people who really want uh, His full attention. No matter what wrong choices you've made, um, you're not on a low road, you haven't missed God's best, um, you just need to repent of the wrong decisions you've made by turning to Him and believe that God's best is still in your future as you seek to know what His will really is. So uh, that's the end of this session, and we can pick up next time with more study about what God's Word actually is. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and, and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.